Okay, well last week we started the uh, foundation of the Christian family, and we're continuing on that foundation this week. And last week we talked about um, lots of different things. Tell me what you remember us talking about last week, or Joshua. Uh, that family is, was the first institution. That's right, the first institution of God, that's right. What else do you remember from last week? Uh, another weapon that we have other than the sword is the arrows and children. That's right. Another weapon we have besides the sword of the spirit is the arrows that we have. Our children. Tracy. As we can have uh, children in the flesh, we can also have children in the spirit through the gospel. Amen. Amen. There's actually three different ways I gave you that we can have children. Are we going to go on? That's right. So we have natural procreation, we have adoption, and we have preaching the gospel, and then discipling new Christians. Just like you would disciple your own children. Amen? What else do you remember from last week? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, that the parents are supposed to be examples for their children. That's right. The parents are supposed to be examples for the children. Very important. Yes, Brother Kevin? That our, our oneness with our wife is not just a physical union. Right. But we are to seek to be one in all things. That's all right. Areas. That's right. Very important to, yeah. to understand that. And so I gave you last week, I gave you four purposes for the family. Went down four different ones. And we've talked about the godly offspring. But we can just mention the second one, which is the two shall become one flesh. Another part of that is that they grow up together. They grow up together. They're separating from their mother and father. Both are. And they're growing up. Now, obviously, there's some growing up they're doing while they're under their mother and father's uh, headship, but they're growing up now uh, to be one flesh with their spouse. Um, what was the first purpose, one of the first initial purposes? Isaac. Companionship. Companionship, that's right. And a helper in this life. They won't go through this life alone. And what was the most important overarching purpose of marriage and family? Marry Christ, that's right. To marry Christ and to become a part of God's family. And if you miss that, you're missing it all. You're missing it all. You can have a good, uh, a good marriage here on earth. You can have a good family here on earth. But if you don't marry Christ and become a good part of God's family, it was all for naught. And if you teach your children the same, it was all for naught. It doesn't make a difference. It's all going to come to judgment. Another important fact that I brought up last week is that God is a father to the fatherless. That's right. That's right. And most, a lot of us have testimonies of that. Whether it was a neglectful father or a father who just wasn't there at all, a lot of us have testimonies of that. And uh, we talked about the beginning last week, the breakdown of the family in our culture, in society, in the world. And that's the devil's doing. But yet, there's still hope. God could bring restoration he can bring a reformation, and he can do something completely new if the first two options are not possible. And no matter how bad our fathers are, we still must honor them. No matter how uh, ignorant they are, no matter how many stupid decisions they make, no matter how sinful they are. Not that we have to honor their sin and the way they live their lives or their stupid decisions, but we honor them because God has placed them as the authority in our lives. 
Okay, so on to this week, we're going to talk about the godly wife and the godly husband. What it's like to be a godly wife and a godly husband, and how their roles work in life. And it's very important, because as my son said a few minutes ago, they must be the examples to their children. Um, you know, we're going to talk more about parenting next week. I'm not going to talk about it this week. Uh, but if you tell your children, you teach them perfectly doctrine, perfect uh, Bible teachings, and they get the best Bible teaching available, but you don't model it for them, it's not going to make any difference. They will do what you do, not do what you say. You know, I'm ideally, doing what, you, what you're doing and what you're saying should match up. That's the way it should be. So a family starts with a godly marriage. That's what we're going to focus on this week. So let's go directly to the scriptures to see what the roles are. Not society, not tradition or pragmatism, but to the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. Okay, verse 3. Now, I could go through all of 11, but I don't think that's what the Lord is leading me to do this week. But verse 3 is very important to understand godly marriage. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And so a godly woman, one of the first things she realizes is that she has a head. Remember what I said last week? Two heads on one body will not work well at all. It will not work. It will cause confusion. It will cause problems. The godly wife knows that she is not the head. That she's not in control. That she's not in charge. She doesn't direct the ship. Not only does she realize she's not the head, but she also realizes she's not the neck. You know, there's a saying going around that, uh, well, I may not be the head, but I'm the neck and I'll turn the head wherever I want it to go. That's just as bad. You're not the neck. Um, she realized that it's not her place to be in control through manipulation, which is what that whole neck-head scenario means. But to be in submission as the body is to the head. Okay. The man, on the other hand, realizes, a godly man realizes the gravity of his situation of being the head of the wife, the head of the family. He doesn't take it lightly. It's not a light thing. It's very important and a very fearful thing. You are responsible, men, for way more than she is. Even if she were to manipulate you and be the neck and get you to do what she wants to do, you're still responsible because you chose to obey her instead of doing what you know you should have done in the first place. You wouldn't let your toe, your finger, or your eyebrow tell you what to do, would you? You wouldn't. That'd be silly. That'd be foolish. The finger doesn't have a brain. Your toe doesn't have a brain. Your eyebrow doesn't have a brain. You don't let those things tell you what to do. You tell those things what to do. You tell your finger when to point and tell someone to repent. You tell your toe when to wiggle. You tell your eyebrow when to go up and down. It doesn't tell you those, those things. Okay. So, you make the decisions, not your wife. And um, the head makes the decisions. And so should you. You are the leader. And single men, it's not something to jump into. It's not something to jump into, to be this, this head, to be responsible for so much. Single woman, 
it's definitely not something to jump into. To give yourself completely to another man like this in all ways. In all ways. Turn to Ephesians 5. Start in verse 22. And we'll read through verse 29. And it says, Wife, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives, their own wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. See, the godly woman realizes that she is to submit to her husband in everything as to Christ. She realizes that she needs to submit to her husband as she would to Christ. She realizes that submitting to her husband is just like submitting to Christ, since God is the one who designed the marital authority structure. The wife is to submit to the husband in everything. And the only exception would be if he were to try to get her to sin. Obviously, she shouldn't submit to that. But if what your husband is telling you to do is not explicitly sinful, then you need to obey him. And the reason I'm saying explicitly sinful is because there may be times that you think your husband is making a mistake. That he's making a wrong decision. That's not explicitly written in the Bible, like lying or stealing or lusting or stuff like that. If he tries to get you to do that, that kind of stuff, obviously you wouldn't obey him. But if he's trying to get you to follow him in a certain way, that isn't explicitly sinful in the word of God, it's not your job to fight with him about it. It's not your, it's not the, it's not your job to disagree with him about it. It's okay to voice your disagreement in a humble way, in a way where you're not telling your husband what to do. But it's not okay to fight and argue with him about these things. It's okay to do what I would call a godly appeal. A godly appeal is not full of accusations, of put-downs, of fighting words, of yelling. Okay, A godly appeal is not full of accusations, put-downs, fighting words, and yelling, a godly appeal is full of humility, submission, wisdom, knowledge, and kindness. A godly appeal comes from someone who knows their place in the situation, and who's simply trying to add information that the head may possibly make a different decision or a better decision. A godly appeal does not come from a know-it-all who thinks they know better. 
A godly appeal doesn't come from someone who is trying to make the decision, but from someone who knows that the final decision lies with someone else. And no matter how much they may disagree with the final decision, they will be submissive. That's what a godly appeal is like. And this kind of appeal would really work with just about any situation in life. Where you're under any kind of authority in life. Whether it be at work, or in the government. Policemen, authorities in the government. At home, between husband and wife. At home, between children and parents. Uh, in the fellowship of the church, between the elders and the flock. That's what a godly appeal is like. And so next time, ladies, you have a disagreement with your husband, try to practice these things. You may already be practicing these things. Be very careful, knowing that you're not the head. He's the head. And husbands, in this passage, they love their wives just like Christ loved the church. So husbands, do you lay your life down for your wife? And I'm not just talking about physically if someone were to break in your home, you let them shoot you first. I'm talking about in every area of life. You're practically, throughout the day, laying your life down for your wife. You're trying to serve her. You're trying to minister to her. You're making sacrificial decisions for her benefit, even if it's to your detriment. That's what you're doing. Are you concerned about her spiritual, physical, and mental well-being? If so, in what way are you concerned about these things? How are you showing these things? Do you teach her things and take care of her? Do you serve her and go above and beyond what she deserves? I mean, that's what Christ did, right? Didn't he give us more than we deserve? Didn't he go above and beyond? He didn't have to die on the cross for us. Are you striving with her to present her spotless, pure, and without wrinkle to Christ? Men, to some degree, you are responsible for your wife's well-being. Spiritual, physical, and mental. You're responsible to some degree for those things. Is your wife constantly tired due to being overworked? Well... What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it to help her, to remedy the situation? Is your wife deficient in her Bible reading and prayer time? Well, what are you doing about it? For her benefit. Even if it causes you to sacrifice more sleep or time for yourself. I hope that you are doing something if these situations are present in your life, not just lazily twiddling your thumbs while these problems continue. Do you take care of yourself better than you take care of her? For she is yourself. She is yourself. That's why I said yourself a second ago. Because she is yourself. Do you take care of yourself better than you take care of her? Well, then there's a problem. Because she is yourself. You're going to take care of her as you take care of yourself, or even better than you take care of yourself. And if you do these things, men, I can almost guarantee you, unless you have a very rebellious wife, that she'll respond properly. That she will do the things in the first part of this passage. She'll willingly submit to you. She'll willingly serve you as she ought to. Good Colossians chapter 3. 
verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. It seems like the submission thing keeps coming up as if he's trying to emphasize it for some good reason. You know, the word submit in our culture has become a cuss word. As if if you have, you have mentioned this word at all, it has all these negative connotations. This is the normal or the fitting thing to do. As is fitting in the Lord. If you are being submissive to your husband, you are not abnormal. You are normal. Don't matter what the world tells you. You're the most normal woman in the world. Because you're doing what is fitting in the Lord. If someone is not submitting to your husband, they are doing what's abnormal. They are doing what's not fitting. And they ought to be... You, if someone comes to me and says, Well, you believe the world was created 6,000 years, they try to act like it was abnormal? Well, you don't? What do you mean? You don't believe that? <laughs> are you telling me that, that you're obeying God? Of course I am. Why, why do we have to be on the defensive about these things? We should be on the offensive, because these are the normal things. To obey God is normal. To believe His word about creation is normal. To submit to your husband is normal. doesn't matter how you were raised, what you were taught as you were raised, what your parents tell you, what your relatives tell you, what your former church tells you, it's normal. It's fitting in the Lord. Of course, this doesn't make the woman less valuable or inferior as a human being. These are simply just positions and roles that God has given each person. I mean, if it happened to be the other way around, men would have to do the same thing. If God made it the other way around, men would have to be submissive. And that's the way it would be. It wouldn't make us inferior as a human being or uh, less valuable either. That's simply the way God has made things. To question this scripture, to question, question submission of the wife to the husband, is not to question chauvinistic pigs or testosterone-filled macho men. To question this scripture is to question God. It's really that simple. It's to question God. And in college campuses, we run this all the time, this woman will come up, be all loud and obnoxious, so talk about submissions, but this is what the Bible says. Deal with it. You're going to take a black magic marker and mark it out of your Bible? That's what the Bible says. You've got to deal with God. Now, husbands aren't to be bitter toward their wives. So, husbands, are you doing something to your wife where you're being too hard on them? Are you doing something to your wife that would cause them to be bitter towards you? Remember, we ought to love our wives as we love ourselves. We have to put their needs before our own. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Starting in verse 3 and going through verse 16 is talking about widows. And the context is to take care of widows who truly are widows. And he gives some um, stipulations for that. Let's just start in verse 3 and we'll read to verse 8 and then I'll stop and talk about verse 8. Honor widows who are really widows. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Let's stop right there for a second. Young people, I want you to understand something. If something happens to one of your parents, 
and they don't have, they can't provide for themselves anymore, it's your job. Not the retirement fund, not the government, it's your job. You're to repay them for all the good they've done to you. That's what it, that's, that's a retirement plan. That's a biblical retirement plan. Okay, and that's nothing wrong with having a 401k or anything like that, but the biblical retirement plan is your children take care of you. Uh, all of you older people here who are married, some, I mean, I've told my parents and Angela's parents that if something happens to them, come to my house, I will take care of you. Even if it causes me some sacrifice, some harm, and who knows, if they're not saved, maybe they'll get saved. Through being around you day and night. And hearing the word of God, and seeing the way you run your family. But that's a biblical retirement plan, right there. Now she who is really a widow, verse 5, and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So there's some stipulations there for being a real widow. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So verse 8, talking to men now. There's he there. Was talking to men. And the context here, if he doesn't provide for a widow, his mother, his grandmother, he is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith? That's some pretty strong words, man. Better make sure you watch your P's and Q's on this. But if it applies to your mother and your grandmother, how much more is applied to your wife and your children? How much more? And so verse 8 is very clear. You need to provide for your own, your own household. That's your job. Go back to the curse in Genesis. What was Adam's curse? They would work the ground and provide for his family. That was part of our curse because Adam messed up. We inherit that. We don't inherit his sin. We don't inherit his guilt, but we inherit his curse. And it's our job, man. So there's, you know, there's some men out there who are just lazy, good-for-nothing bums. They don't take care of their family. They don't even try to get a job. Um, that's why there's lots of single mothers out there. Because men are just lazy sometimes. But this says, if they claim to be Christians, they're, they've denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's some pretty strong words. Paul doesn't say that about very many things. But he says it about this. So it's your job, men, to do that. Now, as with everything, there are situations that may make this difficult, like not being able to find a job, which requires searching for one, being disabled or injured in some way. And as with everything, God will judge each person according to their circumstances and according to their heart. Okay? The woman's role. We're going to read that here in a second. Let's continue on. Verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, or a one-woman man. Well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So these widows who have nobody, they're alone. Says, We're gonna, the church is going to take care of them if they meet these conditions. Okay? He says in verse 11, he just gave the age of their 60 up there, but refuse the younger widows 
For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, a desire to marry. And what this is talking about is someone who's a younger widow, under 60, and has committed herself to stay that way. And that's the ones he's talking about here. That they grow wanton against Christ. They have not, they've decided, they've already made a commitment to commit themselves completely to Christ. Now they're saying, well, I want to get married instead. So they shouldn't have made that first commitment in the first place. And Paul's giving admonitions on what to do if there's a younger widow. He says, refuse them. Because these things might happen to them. Verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Faith could also be translated as commitment or pledge. They made this commitment or this pledge to stay a widow, to be helped by the church, commit themselves completely to Christ. We know from verse 27 that when you stay completely committed to Christ and you're not married, you have no distractions in this world. No husband or wife to distract you, no children to distract you, you're just completely committed to Christ. And you can have spiritual children. Okay? He says in verse 13, Besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. So ladies, here's some things not to do. Okay, We can learn from these younger widows who Paul's going to give some admonitions here in a second. Do not be idle. Do not be lazy or useless. Do not be unemployed. In the sense that you're doing nothing. Do not be gossips. And gossip, here's how I would define gossip. Idle talk or rumors. Especially about someone's personal or private affairs. Idle talk or rumors. Especially about someone's personal or private affairs. So don't be idle. Don't be gossips. Don't be busybodies. Busybodies are those who are have undue or misdirected curiosity. Something that does not concern them at all. Always meddling in other people's affairs. So those are the things not to do. Don't be idle, don't be a gossip, don't be a busybody. And these are things that I think a lot of women are tempted to do. Just like men are tempted to lust, it's one of the main things men sometimes are tempted to do, these things women are tempted to do, I think pretty hard. So you need to watch yourself. Ladies, watch yourself. Don't be idle. Don't be gossips. Don't be busybodies. And then he gives some admonition of what these young widows should do. He says, I desire the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Okay, so after these young widows marry, they are to bear children. Now remember, there's three different ways to do this. There's natural procreation, adoption, and then there's preaching the gospel and discipling new believers. Manage the house. This Greek term is actually used in astronomy. And it was used of a planet that uh, had rule and had influences over the whole of human life. And when I saw that in my uh, lexicon recently... It uh, really, uh, I won't say it was humorous, but it was very insightful that this was used in astronomy about a planet that had rule and influence over all of human life. Do you know that being a wife, being a mother, is one of the most important and most influential jobs in the whole universe? In the whole universe? 
By being a godly wife and mother, you can influence the whole of human life. Imagine if every mother, every wife was godly and bore children in one of those three ways and took care of the home. How order would be reestablished in the earth and how children would be raised in the fear of the Lord. Because women, mothers, wives, you have more influence over your children than anyone else. While the husband's working, you're with them all day. You know, I read this a while back, and I, I, I truly think that I agree with it, and I believe it. That all other jobs, all other jobs that are out there, are only there to support the most important job, being a mother. All other jobs, whether it's electrician, plumber, goes to work, brings home the bacon, so to speak, but the mother can stay home and take care of the children and raise them and be a mother and be a wife like she should. Don't let anyone ever tell you that being a mother or being a wife is unimportant. Don't let anyone ever tell you that. It's, the most, it's one of the most important jobs in the whole universe. You can affect this universe by being a good and godly mother and a good and godly wife more than you can by going out and getting a job being a CEO of a large company and having millions of dollars. You'll have more impact as a wife and a mother than doing that. This world will tell you the opposite. It'll tell you, well, you need to have your own, your own um, career. You need to be successful in that way. You know who the most successful woman is? The one who raises her family properly. The one who obeys God's word concerning her roles in life. Just think about it, ladies. You have the hearts of your children, the palms of your hand. Or you should anyway. What are you molding? What are you making? What will they become? You're going you're to be responsible for a lot of what your children become. Because you have more time, more influence over them than anyone else in life. Unless, of course, you send them off to public school. Then you've lost all that just like that. You have great opportunity and possibility for great influence, which means, in turn, you have great accountability and great responsibility to God. That's what it means. So give no opportunity to the devil to speak reproachfully. Ladies, are you doing that? Are you giving any opportunity in your life for the devil to speak reproachfully against you? Well, if you're obeying God's word, you're not no matter what he says. If you're obeying God's word, no matter what he says, you don't have, you're not giving him opportunity to speak reproachfully. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 8. Talking to Titus, who is a man, who is an elder in the church, he says, but as for you, Speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. Why? That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. So you men who are older in the faith, does that describe you? Are you sober? Are you honorable and reverent? 
Are you temperate and self-controlled? Are you sound, which means healthy or accurate, in the faith and in love and in patience? I'll tell you this, man. People are looking. These young men in this church, they're looking. They're looking to you to be the example. Are you being that example? That's the question you must ask yourself. The older women, likewise, they be reverent in behavior or holy Honorable in their behavior. Not slanderers. You know what the Greek word for slander is here? Female devil. Don't be a female devil, ladies. Don't be a slanderer. Keep a tight ring on your tongue. Let your religion be useless. Don't be a female devil. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things, dash. Here's the good things the older ladies in the faith should be teaching. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, which means prudent, self-controlled, chaste or pure. Homemakers, which means busy at home. Good. Obedient to their own husbands. That means, ladies, not obedient to someone else's husband. Not obedient to some other man. Not obedient to some pastor, preacher. Obedient to, not to your father. Remember, that's been broken off. Obedient not to your grandfather or some other relative or some other authority you have from the past. Obedient to your own husband. That's what you need to be. Obedient to your own husband. That the word of God may not be blasphemed, defamed, slandered. Likewise, this is going back to the older men now. Exhort the young men to be sober-minded, to be sensible. Sensible. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern, to be an example of good works. In doctrine, integrity, you know, your moral character, uh, your reverence, and your incorruptibility, your sincerity. Sound speech or healthy words. Now we need to choose our words properly, man, and very carefully. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That's very important for open air preachers. Very important. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. I tell you, the tr most trying time to do that is when you're in the heat of the moment. When someone says something wrong to you, whether it's your wife or your children or a sinner on the streets, that's when the real person comes out. The person has been put through the fire. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who, who, ha, who is an opponent, someone who's against you, may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Nothing evil to say of you. That's what a godly man is like. That's kind of example... The older men in the faith need to give to the younger men in the faith. Because they're going to follow our examples. They're watching. Just like the older ladies. The younger ladies are watching. Are you being an example to them? Are you teaching those who are married and young in the faith to 
Be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And this, these lists aren't by any means everything you could exhort a younger person in the faith or, or a woman or a man in the faith to do. These are important things, otherwise Paul wouldn't have mentioned them. Very important things. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, going through verse 7. There's an S word again. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now you see, this is the way, ladies, the primary way to deal with a husband who's not obeying the word, whether he called himself a Christian or not. Now I gave you some steps for a godly appeal, so structure for a godly appeal. But if a man's not obeying the word, he's not going to submit to that anyway. And so it comes to the point where you have to win them without a word. It's a very test for you. It's a test for you as women because I know you're tempted to speak up. I know you're tempted to say something. When you know your husband is wrong, you know you're right. But the Bible says that they can be won without a word. By the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. It's difficult. It is. It's difficult for the men to lead their homes properly. But these are the roles we play in life. These are the roles God has set out for us. We must be submissive to them. Do not let your adornment, ladies, be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, the word merely is not there, but I think it's proper for the context, and we'll see that here in a second. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. The word adornment here, you'd never guess it. It's actually the Greek word cosmos, which is usually translated as world. Don't let your world, ladies, be outward adornment. Don't let that be your world. Because guess what? That world will pass away. You can see it with movie stars. Face, you know, the facial stuff they get done to themselves, implants they can put all over their bodies because they don't like the way they look anymore, de-wrinkling cream, all the stuff they do to themselves. I mean, some of them put so much makeup on, you think a chisel in it to, to get it, or a jackhammer to get off their face. That's ridiculous. That, that kind of person, because the movie screen and the music industry teach you that that's the most important thing, is the way you look. Your body. Your face. When that fades away, because time happens... Death will come. And even if you don't, you know, even if you die young, you die, you know, pretty with no wrinkles, death will do it to you anyway. It all wither away. So let that be your world. Let that be the, the way you uh, the word cosmos could also be translated as beautify through decoration. 
Don't that be your main adornments? I want you to, I, know, I know we're not really for Christmas here, but I want you to picture a Christmas tree. You put ornaments on it, right? You beautify it. You put the tinsel on it, you put the lights on it, you put all these ornaments on it, right? And that's how you beautify a Christmas tree, right? Well, ladies, don't let that be your adornment, merely be outward. Okay? There's nothing wrong with braiding your hair, arranging your hair. Nothing wrong with wearing gold or putting on fine apparel, necessarily. Nothing wrong with those things. But if that is the main beauty, or the only beauty, that's when you have problems. That's when you have problems. If that's the main focus of your beauty, then there's problems. Personally, I prefer, prefer that my wife doesn't wear makeup or jewelry at all, or rarely ever. That's my preference for my wife. Personally, I prefer that my wife's hair be down. That's my preference. Now, men, you may have other preferences for your wives, and that's fine. As long as the outward thing doesn't become the main thing. And husbands, you have influence over your wife. And you can influence her to make this. You can put so much emphasis on this that it becomes the main thing. That becomes the main beauty, the main focus. So you can have preferences all you want, as long as you're not leading them in that direction. You may not have any preferences. You may say to your wife, I like your hair no matter what, what way it is. Up, down, curly, straight, purple, blue, black, brown. You know, you may not care. You might say, I like you with earrings and rings and a gold necklace with a big dollar sign on it around your neck. <laughs> you, know? you may say, I don't care if you have broccoli stuck in your teeth. I mean, it's just... It's, uh, each person's different. I prefer my wife to brush her teeth. That's what I prefer. <laughs> that way I can kiss her at any time. Without suffering. <laughs> so he may give you, your husband, you need to follow his preferences, ladies. And he might not have any, but you, he may give you the freedom to do whatever you want. That's between you and him. As long as it isn't the main focus of your beauty or the only beauty. Ladies, but you need to realize this. I said it before. Physical beauty will pass away. And that's one of the main reasons why your focus should not be on outward beauty or outward adornment, but on the inward beauty. The hidden person of the heart. The incorruptible, the unfading, the not affected by death beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious, very expensive, at great value in the sight of God. And gentle means not overly concerned with one's self-importance. That's what gentle means. Not overly concerned with one's self-importance. Quiet means well-ordered. Knows when to speak and when to be quiet. Which, if you're a wise person, male or female, you'll be quiet most of the time. I'll tell you that much. I've learned that. But this kind of beauty is incorruptible. Death and age cannot necessarily affect the inward beauty for the bad. In fact, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll just increase and get more and more beautiful. No matter what happens on the outside, it'll get more and more beautiful. And that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to last in the end. God's not let you into heaven because you're pretty. Right? Not you in the kingdom of God because you're pretty. Because you're beautiful in His sight. In His sight. Not the beauty of this world. But in his sight, you're beautiful. It will grow to the end if you 
cultivate it. And of course, your husband should be involved in this cultivation. He should lead you in the right direction. Cultivate it, it'll just grow and grow until the end. It won't go, it won't be a crop that goes away. It won't even be a perennial crop. It'll be there for good and just continue to grow and grow and grow. Like it's supposed to. Verse 5 For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. This is how they beautified them, this is how they, they decorated themselves. Being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. I've asked this before. I think it's kind of funny, but I think it's true. Would you be willing to call your husband Lord, little L? Are you that submissive to him? That you call him Lord, little L? That's what Sarah did. She's a woman of the faith. She'd be following in her footsteps. And then verse 7, we see some admonitions to the husband. Husbands likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, with knowledge, with wisdom. They're different than you men. Dwell with them with wisdom. Learn to know what your wife is like. She's not you. She's not a man. She's different. So dwell with them with understanding, with knowledge, with wisdom. The Greek word gnosis. Giving honor, giving esteem, giving value. When was the last time you honored your wife? You honored her. I mean, what, what ways... Think about this, man. I want you to give, give me some answers. What ways could you honor your wife? Just take her out on a, on a night, you know, away. Yeah. And ask her what she'd like to do or and just spend special time just kind of focused on her. Right. Apart from everything else. Amen. Yeah, that's great. Praise the Lord. What other ways could you honor your wife? Patricia? Uh, just, uh, you know, particularly for any reason... Just giving her a gift, mm -hmm. uh, just you know, presenting a gift is something that she would like. So if you're married to her, you should know what her likes or dislikes are. So if you give her a gift, say, "I got this for you," uh, just because. Right. Amen. Man, there should never be a point in time in your life where you don't know what your wife's likes and dislikes are. If you're that distant from her, there's a problem. There's a problem. You should know her likes and you should know. Well, if I want to get her flowers. What, which one should I get her? like red roses or yellow roses or lilies or daisies or whatever it may be, you should know these things. You should know what her favorite kind of food is. I mean, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't want to take her out on a date, cook her at home. Cook her a food meal at home. She'll, she'll love that too. Different lives are different ways. You have to you know, know what your wife's likes are. You should know what her favorite meal is. What else can you do to honor your wife? What's that? Compliment her. That's right. Give her a word of affirmation. Tell her how beautiful she is to you. Tell her how much you appreciate what she does. Tell her how much you love her. Walk up behind her and just kiss her randomly. Or give her a hug. She'll love it. Unless you got bad breath, that is. <laughs> you can honor your wife just by opening the door for her. When you go someplace, or at the car, or just by observing her, watching her during the day, just keeping your attention upon her.
Just watching her. You know, my children love that when I do it with them. I know my wife would do too. They like attention. Undivided attention. They like that. Give her that. She deserves it. And then while you're paying attention, see if she's tired and maybe take over what she's doing for her. You know, I know the Bible talks about women being homemakers and keepers at home. That doesn't mean you can't wash some dishes, brothers. Doesn't mean you can't uh, vacuum the floor. Doesn't mean you can't cook a meal. Whether it's my way by taking her out, or it's your way by actually cooking. <laughs> but Tracy, I found that um, whenever you instruct or tell your wife to do something, and she does it out of obedience, it doesn't actually hurt or have any pain associated with just saying thank you. And that's the way you can honor your wife also is to show appreciation for the things that she is doing right. out of obedience. Amen. Yeah. Brother Bonnie, you have something? Yeah, just like you said, just helping out around the house, doing things that you normally don't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like you said, cleaning, vacuuming, washing dishes, cleaning clothes. Changing a diaper. Like Changing a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Washing clothes, yeah, those are good things. And all this takes your affection towards her. I'm not just talking about physical affection, but your affection and time and attention to understand your wife and know what she's like. So you can give her the things she needs uh, that you would have to give her sacrificially to bless her. So we need to honor our wives. Uh, We need to realize, it says here, that they are the weaker vessel. Now, men, it doesn't mean they're weaker intellectually, okay, or morally, uh, but they are weaker physically, okay, Uh, They are different than us emotionally, and uh, we need to understand that when we're dealing with them. They're not men. Don't treat them like they're your brother in Christ or your buddy. Okay, They're your wives. Treat them differently. They have limitations. And I said this before, men are like steel, women are like silk. They each have their value. They each have their purpose in life, depending upon the situation. One is more delicate than the other, but they both have value. And they both have limitations. Even we have, I mean, it doesn't say it right here, but we have limitations too, man. We're not Superman. Okay? We have limitations too. So, this is telling you, I said, hey, that you need to understand that they're a weaker vessel. And that you are heirs together of the grace of life. And it says all these things, it says at the end, it says uh, that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, I don't like that translation, hindered there. It's a very weak word for this Greek word. The Greek word means cut off severed, exterminated. Do you realize, men, that when you don't treat your wife properly, it cuts off your prayers? It severs your prayers? It exterminates them? It doesn't just hinder them. It cuts them off. There's lots of reasons to treat your wife properly, but this is a great reason right here. You go to pray before God, it's like, I don't even hear you, man, sorry. It's very dangerous. And so in this marriage, this picture of Christ and the church that we see, both sides have roles. And if both fulfill their roles properly and biblically, there'll be harmony in the home, there'll be godly children raised, no matter which of the three ways it is, and the world will be changed. Not through politics, not through uh, laws, or through wars, but through having a godly family that flows from a godly marriage.
that's the way it's supposed to be. So we're going to stop there for today. Next week we're going to, um, right at this point in time, the Lord's leading me to this, I think he is anyway, to talk a little bit more about marriage and then we're going to talk about, start about parenting next week. Okay? Um, so let's, uh, let's all examine ourselves in light of these truths. I've had to examine myself quite a bit just by studying this out and making sure I'm doing everything like I should. And um, okay, let's open the floor up to questions, objections, or things you may want to add. also the family um, and and with our children is uh, to never undermine their authority with the children and allow the children to divide the, uh, the marriage relationship right and uh, I know that there's been schemes mm-hmm. from the enemy yeah. to do that yeah. in our marriage yeah. uh, where my wife has given instructions Right. And then it comes to me. Yeah. And it's a scheme being run. Right. And so that's one way we can honor our wives mm-hmm. and their place in the family and, and raising the children. They've given instruction to the children. And uh, it's godly instruction, and we don't allow anything to undermine that. Right. And that honors them Amen. as mothers. And so that's another thing. Amen. That's a great point, brother. Yeah. Great point. We'll probably talk more about that kind of stuff next week, but it's actually the same thing. Even something as small as uh, asking for a drink or some food, and they'll go to her first and come to me next or the other way around. And uh, you, you have to nip that in the bud. You really do. Because you're, you're right, that is a scheme. Divisiveness of that, of that kind is a scheme. It's not from God. Because <clears throat> we are one in every way. Yes, Malke. Um, would it be fine if um, the mother had a job at home? Yeah. To a point where she can still watch the children at the same time? We're going to talk about that more next week, son. Okay. I appreciate you bringing that. We're going to talk about Proverbs 31 next week, which talks about those kind of things. But, uh, yeah, that is that is okay to answer your question shortly. That is okay. I'll give you the long answer next week. It's <laughs> a good question, son. Very insightful. <coughs> Yeah, you already touched on this, but I just kind of want to amplify it a little bit. Is that um, when the head makes a decision, uh, sometimes uh, there's disagreement, and you might think, well, you have a better way of doing it. But once the decision is made, then there needs to be submission. Even if if you think it's wrong. Now, even if the result of that decision ends up being wrong. Right. You know, not, not in the moral sense, but in a... Uh, like a practical sense, right. like even, like say, uh, like say if uh, we're planting a garden, you know, and then uh, some <clears throat> opinions come across and say, well, I want to do it this way. No, I think it should be done this way. And it's like, okay, we're going to do it this way. And, and then there's disagreement there. Yeah. And then we do it that way. Then all of a sudden the plants die. Right. Okay. So even if the situation is like that, 
there still needs to be godly submission. Yeah. And even with uh, children with their parents, even if the children think they have a better way, mm-hmm. whenever the parents makes the decision, that's the decision that needs to be submitted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they think it's wrong or right, and even if it fails, it still needs to be godly submission. Amen. Yeah. The other side of the coin, it needs to be uh, from the husband, from the authority, from the head, a willingness to listen. To what the uh, spouse or even the child. Uh, there's been times I thought I was writing something and Malachi, he made a godly appeal to me. Had a lot of the same qualities that I've talked before and he was right and I was wrong. And I had to humble myself. And I was willing to listen to him. And so there has to be a willingness from the from the, the head to listen. There are times where it's like, nope, that's it. You don't have to listen to anything. Um, it's just a decision you make. And then, of course, if you make the wrong decision, you're responsible for it. I mean, if you plant a garden and it all just dies it's your fault it's your fault all that money wasted all that time wasted you know if i if i uh you know there's been times in the past where uh, a long time ago I, I bought a vehicle didn't consult my wife very much on it i think it was a mistake i look back on it and i paid for that i paid for that mistake you know so i, I think when it comes to decisions in life big decisions you know there's a partnership for one flesh there should be definitely some discussion about these things and a willingness to listen to the wife because the wife God gives the wife wisdom too mm-hmm. even though the husband is the head and he makes the foundation and God gives the wife wisdom too and we be willing to listen to them be humble in that sense even if it's our child we be willing to listen to them even if it's an 11 year old child we be willing to listen to them and that's that's our part to be humble because if we're not being humble we're not being a good example for our wife or for our children in those situations but yes what you said is right the, the man makes the foundation the wife needs to be able if she sees that there's no Godly appeal being submitted to, then she just pray and be chaste and have uh, her conduct be in fear, and maybe that'll win them over. Maybe not. Well, John. Yeah, on, on the godly appeal thing, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't write it down as quickly as Sorry you were about that. expressing it. Yeah. You could yeah, I can go through it again. Yeah. I should. Yeah, godly appeal is not full of accusations, put downs, fighting words, or yelling. A godly appeal does not come from someone who thinks they know it all or thinks they know better. A godly appeal does not come from someone who is trying to make the decision. But from someone who knows the final decision lies with someone else. And no matter how much they may disagree with the final decision, they will be submissive. Not grudgingly submissive. Let me add that to it. Not grudgingly submissive, but joyfully submissive. Amen. Now, a godly appeal is full of humility, submission, wisdom, and kindness. It comes from the person who knows their place in the situation and who is simply trying to add information. That's a godly appeal. And I'll tell you, in my marriage, over the last 13 years, there's been times my wife has done it the godly way and the ungodly way. And the time she does the godly way, she gets a lot further with me. Because when my wife, in the past, when she's been, made an appeal and it was an ungodly way, I just stood my ground, you know. You're not going to tell me what to do. It's my job to make the decisions. You know, so I mean, if your wife says you really want to get somewhere with your husband, you're better off doing it the godly appeal way anyway. Because otherwise, you're going to get a bad... I mean, 
It's the same way in any authority position in life. I mean, if, when I was in the military, if I went to a captain or a sergeant major and talked to them that way, I would have been in trouble. I definitely wouldn't have gotten anywhere with them. That's for sure. I went to them very humbly, very submissively, and gave them the extra information. They said, well, thanks, Private. How about the police on the street? Police on the street, same way with them. Yeah. Any authority in life. You know, you don't want to be belligerent with the police. There may, there may be situations and circumstances to rebuke the police. I'll give you that. But if you want to get somewhere with them, you really want to do it the godly appeal way. And realize God has set this structure in motion. He set this structure in motion. He set this institution in motion, whether it's the marriage or the government. He's the one who establishes order and authority in life. And if you want to get anywhere with an authority in your life, you, you need to do it the right way. You really do. So. What, John? I, I would just add the point that uh, for the husbands, the things aren't going well or, or not uh, you know, seeming to be seem to be going through a trial or tribulation right. in circumstances with your wife or your children, then you need to get appealing to the Lord. Yeah. That's you know the same appeal that we're talking about for the wives. Yeah. To the husbands, the same appeal that we make in the Lord Christ. Yeah. For wisdom how to deal with uh, whatever's going on. Right. Amen. And when I when I was giving you my response in the past to what my, my wife does it, I'm not telling you that's how you should respond, obviously. It's not how I should have responded. Um, I could, you can still put your foot down, men, without being ungodly in the process, without being angry, without being belligerent towards them. Okay, you can. Now, there are times where you might have to rebuke your wife. I'll tell you that much. You might have to at times, but I think those times are fewer than we may think they are. And yes, Brother John's right. If you um, find problems with your your wife or your children, then you appeal to your authority. I was told in the military, I think this is a good, good, a good note to practice, that the bad goes up, the good goes down. You give the bad to God, you give the good to your wife and children. Okay? You, you go to God with your problems. He's the one who can help solve your problems. I'm not saying you can't go to your wife with your problems, but if you want the, the best success in life, I think that's a good, good anecdote to follow. What, Tracy? this one okay yeah uh also you, you touched on this also really good i want to amplify this too is uh for the young men uh, possibly seeking to get married is uh you know if the gravity of the situation is if you're going to be responsible that means to have the ability to respond with your wife and have responsibility with your wife you have to be responsibility with yourself yeah. if you can't show responsibility with yourself in your own life uh, then you're not going to be able to show any responsibility uh, governing over someone else's life. Yeah. Uh, because, like like we already said, if you make a decision that ends up being wrong, it's your fault. Yep. And the weight is on your shoulders. Yeah. So if you're not if you're not ready to to bear that weight upon your shoulders and take that role of responsibility, then then you should wait. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Not a light thing, man. Thing at all. Okay, anybody else? Anything else? Okay.
Okay, well, next week we'll continue marriage. We might even touch on pre-marriage next week a little bit. And we'll probably start parenting.